hello and welcome back to Coming Home Network Presents, where we have conversations about the kind of things people think about when they're exploring the Catholic Church and wondering if they should become a part of it. Uh, I'm Matt Swaim, and I'm excited today because we get to talk about some people, and talk to some people rather, from the world of pro baseball about their journeys of faith. If you're looking for support on your own journey, please visit us at chnetwork.org. We have lots of stories. We have an online community uh, where you can connect with people who are going through what you maybe are going through right now. That's community.chnetwork.org. And of course, this is all made possible because of generous people who want to help you out on your journey. And if you want to join that group of people, go to chnetwork.org slash donate. Uh, and you can find out more information there. So I've loved baseball as long as I can remember, even though I was terrible at it. Um, my love for broadcasting came from watching and listening to Marty Brenneman and Joe Nuxhall do Reds games growing up. So uh, my love of baseball kind of got me into Catholic media down the down the road. Um, that's not as impressive as the people I'm about to talk to who have played the game. <laughs> so we've got today Wade and Nina Gaynor and Dan Venezia. Uh, we won't have time to get into their full conversion stories, but if you want to read more, Nina has done a written version of her conversion story, her journey to the Catholic Church at Coming Home Network's website. So has Dan Venezia, uh, and you can go read more about them there. There's a lot in both of those stories. Wade's going to write his up one day. Wade, Nina, Dan, welcome. All right, so I have a lot of questions. Some of them are about baseball. Some of them are about theology. Some of them overlap. But I'm going to start with Wade uh, because I know the least about his journey. So let's just start, first of all, by talking about how you got into baseball and how you got your opportunity to kind of play at the pro level. Yeah, thanks for having us, Matt. Um, you know, for me, I loved baseball for as long as I can remember. Um, I don't know if Dan's got a similar story, but from the time I was three, four years old, if I got a glove, I would sleep with it. Um, I'd wake up, want to throw a ball, hit a ball. And I grew up in a very small town. Um, there's there's 8,000 people in our whole county. So... We're, we're in the, um, Western Kentucky, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And, and for me, everything I did was with baseball in mind. So I got an opportunity to play high school baseball, of course. Um, I did well there. I got a scholarship to go to Western Kentucky University. So Bowling Green's about 30 minutes, or I'm sorry, an hour and 30 minutes from my hometown. And actually I played with Nina's brother there. He was a fifth-year senior my freshman year, and uh, that's where we met. And for three years, I played for the Toppers and was drafted in the third round by the Detroit Tigers in 2009. So that was kind of a uh, quick summary, but that was the, the, the route I took um, in getting into the minor leagues. By Toppers, I, you I mean Hilltoppers, I'm assuming. The Hilltoppers, that's right. So, uh, make sure, as a fellow Kentuckian, I just want to make sure we're clear on our uh, on our terms here. That's the, right for the non-Kentucky crowd. It's the Hilltoppers. Um, so you were in the Tigers organization, uh, Dan. Uh, if you could kind of sum up a little bit of, of your own sort of path to to, to to the pro baseball level. Sure. I I mean, uh, hearing hearing from Wade there, our our paths are similar yet quite different. Uh, growing up in a big city, you know, he had eight thousand. People, I grew up in the city with 8 million, uh, people in New York City. So, uh, I grew up playing stickball in the street. I mean, we played sewer to sewer. I mean, literally in the street, police officers would stop and actually pinch hit and jump in. It was a different time. Uh, we were inclusive. We made up our own rules. We held each other accountable for those rules. 
And, uh, you know, we, if we all chipped in, the, you know, for a, a Spalding or a blue rubber ball, and if it went up on the roof that, you know, lined our, our Brooklyn streets, we'd have to climb it to get that ball. And, uh, so that's where my love developed playing with my older brothers. I'm the youngest of four, uh, two older brothers. And I was sort of the, you know, tagging along. And, uh, my, you know, when we were able to get a mitt and a real bat, we went down and found a patch of grass somewhere. Not, not a whole lot where I grew up in Brooklyn. Uh, it was a concrete field most of the time in the schoolyard. And then, uh, you know, my love of, of just as Wade described, hitting and throwing anything baseball just brought me tremendous amount of joy. Uh, took my city, my, my baseball high school team to a city championship, which got to be played at Yankee Stadium, which was pretty cool at 17 years old, the old Yankee Stadium. And then I uh, got a, a scholarship to a small division two school in Westchester County, Concordia College, where I played four years of baseball and then fulfilled you know, that, that dream, every kid who steps foot on a little league field has dreams of one day playing in the big leagues and getting drafted by the Twins. I was a low round draft pick, again, a, a lot different from Wade, and 36 round pick. It was 1993. That was the year A-Rod was the first pick in the draft. Tory Hunter was our first pick in the first round. He became my roommate, my good friend, and a, and a fellow brother in Christ, by the way. And then I played parts of three seasons in their organization and, uh, you know, at that moment, baseball had brought me both the, the best moment and the worst of my life, the best getting the call and then the worst being sent home. But since then, um, you know, my love for Christ has, has completely trumped all of that. But that's, a, that's a, you know, the two-minute version of my story. Yeah, it's so funny. Like, so many people who get to the pro level get a cup of coffee in the big leagues. And then you got guys like Torrey Hunter, who I feel like retired, like, really recently you know was in the league for forever and just played all over the place um it's a really interesting phenomenon the whole baseball world so this is where i actually get to ask a question of nina and that is when you you know of course you had a brother who was playing at you know the college level but you you married a person who had gotten drafted like what did you think that was going to mean for you I really didn't know, and, and Wade and I hadn't started dating until after he got drafted, of course. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think everybody kind of imagines something uh, shiny and bright and, and wonderful with baseball and professional athletics. And, and there were those moments, but most often our experience was not really that. Uh, minor league baseball is kind of known for the grind, and it's not just for the guys, but also for the families that they bring along with them or that are also at home. But, um, you know, it's a beautiful journey and, and we're just so thankful to have been a part of that. All right. So let's back up a little bit then and, and look at, you know, now that we kind of know where you got at the professional level, like we'll go, we'll do it around the horn. I, I'm going to apologize for all the baseball puns that probably come up here, but Wade, where was your faith journey? Like through the course of this process, like what were what, what was your relationship with God? Uh, you know, what kind of like churches were you a part of, if any? One thing to touch on what Dan was talking about, that's one of my favorite things about the game of baseball is I, I grew up with with my dad telling me, try to hit the ball over the barn in the, in the side yard, you know, uh, on 20 acres, which sounds like maybe to somebody from a city like a lot, but it's kind of normal here. And uh, to hear him play stickball in the streets, and then we all get thrown in the same clubhouse. That's what I miss a lot of uh, the different backgrounds. But to answer your question, um, for as long as I can remember, um, the Lord's called me to him. 
So I was very, very blessed with an amazing family. Um, we were in church, you know, I tell everybody eight days a week and from the time I was little and we went to the Methodist church here, here in Hallsville, Kentucky. So it was really a charm childhood and it was always easy. Um, I had a good father, so it was easy for me to relate to or to understand a little bit, um, God being that father. And um, my extended family, everyone, we were, we were all very close. Our church family was very close. And um, even through college, even whenever you're kind of going wayward or, or uh, going down some roads that you really shouldn't, um, that call back to Christ was always very strong for me. And, and whenever Nina and I met, um, really, she, she, I think, I helped bring her closer to Christ, and then she also helped me get closer to Christ. So even throughout my playing career, um, you know, Dan mentioned Tori Hunter. We were in the same Bible study with Tori and his wife, which is really cool. Um, back in 2014 and 15, I think, when he was with the Tigers in spring training. So uh, it's just awesome to to have this conversation, and, and for me – the Lord's always been part of my life, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. It makes for a somewhat boring testimony sometimes, but um, it's the truth. Hey, I work in the conversion story industry, and let me tell you, there's no such thing as a boring testimony. Like the weird <laughs> little things that might not matter to you are like fascinating to other people. Uh, but Nina, while while we're on Wade's story, um, I know just enough about you to know that we are from the same part of Kentucky, and where we are is where Asbury College is, um, where we're from. And that's a Methodist pocket in Baptist country. So where were you, <laughs> faith-wise, when you met Wade? Well, when I met Wade, I was kind of church hopping and shopping and, and trying to figure out. And then when I married Wade, Wade told me I was a Methodist. And, <laughs> and so that's kind of where we landed. But, but the beauty and also something that was difficult about baseball is that Wade was playing baseball every Sunday morning. You know, at noon there was a game, so he was at the field when most churches are having their services. And so I would attend alone often. And um, just by, you know, coincidence and some conversations, I started attending a Baptist church in Florida, which was just really instrumental in in forming me and shaping me and drawing me to the Lord and, and teaching me so much because As we were talking last night, you know, that was the first time in my life that I had no school, no job, no babies, no nothing. And, and I just got to focus on on my relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and that's, that's kind of what I did those first little bit, uh, those first little years that we were married. And, and it was in a kind of hodgepodge of all different sorts of churches, but Jesus was definitely, definitely always with us. Yeah. How about you, Dan? Yeah, so so my faith uh, again. There's there's some contrast here. I I was a cradled Catholic. Uh, then I was dragged, you know, by my mom. Thankfully, I, I thank God for for that. And then I was lost. So during during my time in professional baseball, I I call that my lost phase, you know. And we pray for that on a daily and weekly basis. Those that are lost in the hope of the resurrection. So those prayers were answered because I did find my way back and. Uh, home for a long time, for 20 plus years, but I was lukewarm. You know, you could sit in the back row of a church and throw your money in the basket, never being connected to the liturgy, to 
the community and to what's most important that that sacrifice reenacted you know on calvary that uh, the eucharist and uh so now i'm i'm starting to get it and i don't want to say i'm on fire but i'm i'm certainly uh my conversion is ongoing and uh so while i was playing professional baseball you know i, I had enough of the church and the rules and um you know i wasn't attending mass i was a two time a year Catholic Christmas and Easter. And, and as you know, when you're playing baseball on Sundays, you know, there wasn't Christmas on Easter either. So, uh, I, I got caught up in the, in the Bible study group and I'm, and I don't want to knock it because I, I think it was important. And, uh, on the road and at home, we had a, a pastor who, you know, you broke open the word and you had the Bible. And, and I always had Jesus in my heart, thanks to my mother who had instilled that love of Christ in my siblings and in me at a, at a young age. Uh, so I, I was searching for something during those baseball days, especially during a struggling time, you know, when you're, when you're hitting over the Mendoza line at 200 and you're, you're praying to the Lord, you know, probably I was praying for a, for good pitches to hit and for a higher batting average at the time. Uh, but I was lost and, uh, I found my way back home. And now, you know, I think that's what, 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 uh, your network named my story, the sacrifice that brought me home. And I've, I, I could tell you this, that, uh, I know the difference between joy and happiness now. And, you know, I thought baseball brought me joy. Um, that's just happiness. Uh, the Lord, my family and everything that has to do with God and the church and the truth and our lady, that's what brings me a tremendous amount of joy. Well, just, you know, the sacrifice that brought me home, I wrote that headline, uh, because I was like, <laughs> I have a chance to write a baseball headline. Please just let me, let me run with this. Um, uh, Okay, so there's so many things in here, but uh, one of the things that I think is important to to really talk about is, well, you, you both mentioned that there was opportunities for Bible studies in these clubhouses, which probably have Catholics, Baptists, Presbyterians, Methodists, people from big cities, people from small towns. So these these opportunities exist. Um, I don't think people, that's kind of a hidden piece of, of, of baseball. It's not something that people are super vocal about unless they win the game and somebody asks them, you know, you know, what were you thinking on that three, two pitch? And they say, well, first of all, I want to thank God, but you know, I was expecting a slider and you know, so, I mean, you see, you, that's the, that's the piece where you hear the faith part, but it's so much deeper I, uh, from, the, from the few players that I've had a chance to talk to. Um, but the other component about this is you guys have a unique experience of divisions within Christianity that not everybody has because you know, a lot of people are like, well, should I go to this church in my town or should I go to that church in my town? When you're touring around playing in different towns every time, I mean, how did that highlight for you that like there really are kind of like differences between Christians and there, and Nina, you wrote about this, like there really are some things that like kind of set us apart and there is, there's a, a felt need for maybe some stability somewhere, some authority. You know, for me, the baseball chapel was instrumental. Like the, the women that ministered to me and, and our children and, and way, cause I don't think a lot of people realize how apart couples are in baseball. And so Wade would go for a 12 game road trip and I would be stuck in a foreign city, um, not knowing anybody, having no friends. You know, sometimes there was another wife in town, but most of the time, um, we were the young, well, we married young. So we were like the seemingly old couple, uh, for all the teams that baseball that Wade was playing with. And so I was there by myself quite often and I would get connected through baseball chapel to the different churches that those women, um, attended. And, and 
it was just amazing, you know, whether it was, you know, my baby's sick, you know, where do I take my child to the doctor to we're moving yet again, but I'm, I'm seven months pregnant and I have a, I don't know, an 11 month old who's going to help me pack our bags because weight's already gone. You know, it was just the way that people showed up and were the hands and the feet of Christ. We, we joined, I don't want to say we joined a bunch of churches, but we participated in all kinds of churches and, and saw just the, the beauty that, you know, God's people really are. That community. Mm -hmm. It was our community. Mm -hmm. As we were away. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. It, it led to our conversion. You know, this, this whole thing of baseball chapel and then traveling a lot and then questioning, well, um, why is it good to go to church and actually be there and not just watch it? And, and all these different questions that, you know, we, we can talk about as we go here. But, um, all that, that great community that we had that God gave us while we were going through this, totally not realizing we'd one day be Catholic at all at this time. Uh, that was kind of like my last couple of years playing, uh, but that all started. But that, that was, they were really great, especially like Nina was saying, I'd be gone for a couple of weeks or a month. You know, I got sent up and down a lot the last few years between AAA and AA. So um, she was alone often. You know, it's it's interesting. So if you're a Methodist from small town Kentucky and you move to a new town, you go where you find the best preacher, you know, and you settle in. Maybe the best music, maybe the best youth group or fellowship, maybe the best, you know, men's group. Uh, Dan, you're in a different spot because if you're a cradle Catholic, like it doesn't matter what town you're in, you know what church you're supposed to go to, right? <laughs> it's whatever one has Saint so-and-so in the title. Um, but again, you said this was during your lost years. At the same time, though, baseball is kind of one of the most, it has m the most visible elements of Catholicism of like any professional sport except maybe soccer. Because half these dudes are like crossing themselves on the way to the plate, right? You, there's so many players from like Catholic countries that have come to the United States and have brought those family traditions, that faith with them, you know, and some people might be cynical and say, oh, that's superstition. But for some of these people, it's very real. So I wonder if you maybe, you know, saw these guys making the sign of the cross around you and saw these people wearing rosaries around. I mean, did, did any of that like trigger anything in you or make you think about things during that lost period of time? No, you know, I, I had a, I had a picture of Jesus inside my hat. In fact, I have it down here on, on one of my monitors and a cross. And I would, I would give it a kiss, you know, before every time out on the field. And, but it was just generic. Like I, I had Jesus, Jesus was with me, but I didn't want anything to do with the church and the rules. And that's because I was living a, a life of sin. Right. And, uh, and I think that's what happens when the, when the devil gets a hold of you and gets his grip on you, he wants you to make you, he wants to make you feel like you're not worthy. And so for a long time, when I'd go to church and I'd hear the priest say some things, I was hearing something very different that, you know, I don't belong here. I'm not worthy because of the, the, you know, many of the, the, much of the sinful behavior that sort of consumed me during those years. It's kind of hard to, I mean, we're all sinners, of course, right? And, and, but, it, but it's kind of hard to, be following the Lord and in the book and in the word and in the sacraments and continue with that sin. You know, I, I heard, well, I, I believe it was uh, through one of the apparitions that uh, the Blessed Virgin had said that, you know, you'll either stop that sin or or you'll stop praying the rosary. 
And what I've found recently, because I've only come to know her in this loving, wonderful, spiritually motherly love that uh, just over the last couple of years, and that's where my conversion and my faith has taken a turn uh, because uh, she's revealed to me crosses that I didn't even know I, I had to bear. But at that time, I wasn't thinking much about it. I was so focused on one sided, you know, clear sighted on my goal to get to the big leagues. And uh, God was secondary. You know, I prayed and I and I had the Bible out, but it was sort of I was going through the motions, checking the box. Uh, but it wasn't until I really found my back myself back in the church, especially in the sacraments and, and with confession, for instance, you know, uh, I, I would confess to God behind the, the door, privacy of my own bedroom door, dozens of times breaking down because I was told that I had a direct line and, and we do have a direct line. But when it comes to that beautiful sacrament of reconciliation, it's not the priest, it's Jesus. So I, I can tell you from being on both sides of that is that once I came back home, you know, thank you, Matt, for that great title. Once I came back home and I laid it at the foot of the cross and I forgave myself for all the pain that I've caused me and others and I laid it at the foot of the cross, Jesus wrapped his arms around me and uh, that I only had to do once. And, and I, I go to frequent confession, but I mean about, you know, a sin that's been weighing you down that you try to tuck away in your back pocket, you pretend that it never happened and you're embarrassed and you got shame and guilt. And it did not work. You know, if, if you got to keep going back, that means it wasn't working. So I found the truth uh, in the Catholic Church that I was so, you know, blessed to be born into. Yet I took it for granted and I left. But uh, I, I think we have a patient God and a patient mother in heaven that doesn't matter when we get there uh, as long as we get there. Yeah. So we got you back to the church and I encourage people actually to go check out Dan's story because a lot of it has to do with like your experience of COVID and like a really harrowing experience of COVID that really got your attention. Um, but you're, so you're back, but we haven't, we haven't figured out how Wade and Nina finally got in. So who wants to tell the story out of you two about like what really kind of like shifted the balance and steered you towards the Catholic church? Our church was uh, going a little wayward, we'll say. and in a lot of different ways. And um it was all very confusing why it was happening and 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 kind of unsettling because we had like this deep foundation, like deep roots that were kind of being uprooted. So um in my quest to figure out why I mean this sounds funny, but this is just the truth of our story. Why you know, we're pro-life and why abortion's not okay. Uh, it was like, well, just saying it's not okay isn't really good enough for me. I, I want to know why because and really go deep. So I got online and I found this book called The Gospel of Life written by Pope John Paul II. And I called it my Pope book as kind of a, as, as a joke because um, I didn't dislike Catholics. I just thought, Poor Catholics don't know much about their faith, and I don't understand it either, and it's really, you know, confusing. But I started reading this book on road trips. Like, I'm just sitting there reading it, and I was calling Nina and saying, this is incredible. Like, I actually didn't really know. If you said, who's John Paul II, I, I would have known, like you know any global figure, but I really didn't know anything about him. 
And um, I started reading that, and I was just, I mean, I'm writing down all these things he's saying. And, and uh, it was just incredible. So then around that same time, we had our first child, and we had been going all over the place. And, and Dan brought up the sacraments. And the sacraments in the Bible led us to the Catholic Church, like 100%. 100%. Um, and we had our first child, and we were like, well, do we dedicate him to the Lord, or do we baptize him? And and we took that very, very, very seriously. It, it was not some, hey, well, you know, this preacher said we should do this, so we're just going to do it because we don't really care or know. It was, it was a big deal to us. We thought, man. I know there's just one baptism. I know I was baptized as an infant. She was not. And we started going to the Word because we kind of didn't trust anything except the Bible. I mean, we were total fundamentalists. And uh, we're reading, and, and I was like, we've got to baptize our child. Like, he's under our roof, and he's going to be in the Christian community, and he's going to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If this is happening. So he was, he was baptized in the Methodist church. And, uh, we just started asking why we feel that way, you know? And, um, then, then it led to sacrifice and then it led to communion. And we were like, well, we need to find a church that has communion every Sunday, um, that baptizes infants. Um, and Dan brought up confession and I'm, I'm, I'm obsessing with, yeah, I'm obsessing with the Bible. I mean, I actually was concerned with me for a little bit. But I'm a baseball player, so I have nothing to do in the off season but work out and read. So that's what I did. And uh, she was working, and I was watching our newborn. So uh, I was like, we need to – confession's a good thing too. And uh, I'm skipping over a few things because it's a really great story. But Nina's kind of already there. Am I right? I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah, I mean, I had no no qualms about it. You know, I had a lot of questions, but I just figured, you know, the Lord will work it out as it, as we go. Uh, but I was much more obstinate <laughs> and everything. But that's true. <laughs> but you know, it was uh, the Lord just so gently uh, kind of pushed us towards Him and His Holy Church, and so we were living in in what would have been closer to my hometown in mm-hmm. Central Kentucky. And, and God just made it like not a friendly place, like for our family, like Wade was working and gone more than he ever was with baseball. And Dan will uh, appreciate this. You know, I was in that, I had an awful year the last year of my contract. So I played seven years with the Tigers. I was in AAA doing well and I got sent down to AA and then I got sent up and down six times in one year and I got done. And by the end of the year, I, I hit like 200. They had like 10 home runs total. Nothing was good. And um, I didn't know if I was going to keep playing or what, but we needed insurance because we're about to have our second kid. So I got a job at a warehouse. Like I was driving by and I saw now hiring and I was like, well, insurance, <laughs> insurance runs out seven days after the last game of the World Series, which is really funny, but this is it's how it works. So, um, I'm in a warehouse. The Tigers call me back, say they want me to go back to Erie, which is double A. And, uh, it, we prayed about it and it just wasn't going to happen. You know, I told them what I needed to make and they, 
said, well, we'll pay you what you made last year, which is really funny because at that time they kind of changed it, made it a little better. You know, I, was, I made like $15,000 the year before. I was like, I got two kids. <laughs> this just is not good. That won't work. I know we live in Kentucky, but it's not that cheap to live here. So um, anyways, we were in kind of limbo. And I'm at church one Sunday drinking coffee. And they pass around the communion plate. And uh, I just let it pass. Start crying. And I was like, why did I just let that pass? Like, why... Because well, we were finally in a church that had communion and we every liked service. It. And, and community. But he stood up there and he said, this is just a symbol. And it was really, I don't like to pick apart denominations because a lot of us led us to who we are mm-hmm. and our relationship with the Lord. But I was like, I can't say that or agree to this. And this would be affirming that. So that led to, we went home and we laugh about it. And Ian was like, what's wrong? You know? And I was like, we need to find a Protestant church that has the Eucharist. <laughs> and that's where, it, that's where it started. That's, that's, that's a fairly fruitless search, by the way. You well, know, I figured there was a long one, time. And I asked people that I like really still to this day, um, love and respect. I was like, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. What you got on this? Because I'm sure I'm not the only one that's read John 6. And, you know, and they're like, well, I mean, you know, Anglican and Lutheran and Episcopalian, they're all kind of close. And I was like, yeah, but it's not the same. And um, I'm, I'm talking a lot, so I apologize, but I'm almost there. We, we went to a Catholic service. Well, God moved us again. We moved. And we moved to kind of like, I don't want to call it like a Catholic hub, but there's a lot of there's a lot. A lot of Catholics here. It's the first time ever that we'd ever been challenged by Catholics. And Yeah, that's right. And those people, they're like, well, just try it. Just go in on Sunday and sit there and see. And they're the first Catholics, again, that we would talk to them about Scripture. And they would just like shake their head and like give us, not a rebuttal, but also give us word, God's Word back to us. And so then we went... One no, Sunday. she's right. That's right. I was giving baseball lessons to a couple of kids, and the dad said, "Well, you need to go to church with us." And I was, I fired off with the typical "Why I'm not Catholic," and he like really served it right back to me, pretty firmly. And it was the first time, and I was probably twenty eight, twenty nine, time, thirty. First time in twenty eight or thirty years that a Catholic had defended their faith to me ever. I mean, usually you make one comment and it's kind of like, oh, I'm just not going to talk anymore. And this guy was like, he wasn't having that. And I am forever grateful of that. And uh, he even went on the offense with me. And then he started sending me all kinds of links, all kinds of books. And he gave me Rome Sweet Home by Scott Hahn, who kind of speaks my language, given our background. And um, we went to Mass one evening. And we did not make fun of it, but we left and said, what in the world just happened? Like, we didn't, our kids were crying. We were, it was nighttime. I'm used to Sunday mornings. And then we went back to another church. And then a couple weeks later, she was like, I want to go. I want to try it again. To mass. And we walked in and 
And I started weeping. She starts crying because of the Psalms and I got emotional whenever they started singing. I saw water flowing from the right side of the temple. Somebody was being baptized that day. I mean it was just it was the whole the whole picture God had mm-hmm. prepared our eyes for it uh, for that moment. And and when we stepped in, you know, it, I just knew instantly and but then I also knew that it wasn't going to be easy because we still had a lot of questions. We still had a lot of hangups and, and, and the journey was a lot of people say that was the beginning. just beginning. That's right. But you know, all of our lives up to this point, it was a preparation for this moment too. Yeah. We went through RCIA and it was the springtime. So we kind of missed Easter and, uh, we were baptized on all saints day because we kept telling our priests, like we're ready. This we're really ready. This is not a joke. And we want our other child baptized. And the last hang up to Dan, I appreciate you talking about the Blessed Mother. That was my biggest hang up. And, and, uh, one day, this is kind of a miraculous story. Um, but I was driving and it was a week before we were going to stand in front of God and everybody and say, we believe everything the Catholic Church says and holds is true. And I was like, I can't do that because the Blessed Mother's got me very, I'm not really down for all that is what I was thinking. And um I was praying while I was driving. So, Lord, I don't want to offend you. I don't want to put someone up there with you that shouldn't be and pray to anyone but you. And, you know, it wasn't a voice from heaven, but if you've had God speak to your heart, you know his voice. And he said, who are you to tell me who I can and cannot glorify in heaven? Verbatim. And I just sat there and I was like, I would never do that. And he's like, that's what you're doing right now. Wow. That's pretty cool. See, you, you do need to write this up now, Wade, uh, for so many reasons. It, because Dan's got some pretty nice matching Blessed Mother stuff late in his journey as, as well. Um, but I've got, I've got some questions. Now that we've got you kind of both back to the sacraments or into the church, um, that fascinate me about both of your journey. I'm going to start this one on Dan, because Dan, you said that your mother drug you to church, but you weren't interested in the rules and you weren't interested in all the regulations and the whatever, all that stuff. What would happen, Dan, in a baseball game if someone, uh, you know, violated some minor rule and the umpire let it go? Like, would you be okay with that? Like in your baseball life, I mean, didn't you revolve so much of your life around particular adherence to the rules and wouldn't you upset it if somebody from the other team didn't acknowledge the rules correctly like isn't it i just find that like a strange contrast uh absolutely um baseball is a game of rules but I, I never made the the connection between baseball and religion at the time you know i i see it clearly now uh, but it, it was more to me than just going away from the rules it was because i was so entrenched not only in my own, my own goals and dreams, but in, in sin. And, uh, I think that that was it. It was just a, it was hard for me to sit in church and, and, uh, you know, again, the devil had his grip on me because I felt like a hypocrite. How can I be here? You know, I'm not worthy to be here. I don't belong here. And, uh, you know, in my journey, you talk about RCIA, Wade, you know, my, the, the interesting part is my wife was grew up Protestant. And when her mother died at a young age, two years before I, I met my, my wife, uh, my wife was converted. She was brought into the church, um, and went through the RCIA program. 
young priest did it. And uh, he's our current pastor, by the way. He's our Monsignor. And uh, he married us. And uh, now I'm a teacher in the RCIA program. So you talk about being, you know, full circle. Just yesterday, I'm in daily mass in New York City. And I think this is to your point on the Eucharist, Wade. And uh, I see a young fellow in the front row. And this is the middle of the afternoon. I had an hour break in between clients. And it was it was unique. He was African-American. He was young. And he was in the front row and he didn't quite know when to kneel. Uh, so he wasn't kneeling at the right time. And it, God placed this on my heart. I'm like, this, this fellow is discerning. He wants to be in this church. And, and I knew he wasn't going to go up for communion because if he didn't know when to kneel, he, and the communion comes and he sat there and he, and he didn't go up. And so after church was over, I, I can see this yearning in his heart. Like he just, he wanted to, you know, he wanted to be in that game. I mean, that's to me, that's the World Series, right? Getting up there and receiving Christ. We can do that every day as Catholics. And uh, so I stayed after and I just said, hey, you looking to come into the Catholic Church? And he said a fellow, he moved into the neighborhood. He's been baptized, but a fellow brought him into church and invited him. And he's in the RCIA program now and he's going to receive the Eucharist at the Easter Vigil. And, uh, you know, I gave my card if I can help him in any way, but that warmed my heart. And I, I can't help but think, Wade and Nina, I mean, you guys now can be such, and I'm sure you are, great evangelists. And because now you know the Bible, right? I think it was Scott Hahn that said, it, it might have came from St. Augustine, uh, that, you know, they have the menu, we have the meal. I've heard Scott Hahn say that often. Uh, but now, because you've been on both sides, and I've been on both sides, I find it easy because you can defend the Bible, because you know it inside and out. And now you can defend the church because it's one of the same. It's not just tradition. It's tradition and truth, spirit and truth, as Jesus said. And it's all one, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, which when we said that creed, when I was lost, I would refrain. I wouldn't say that because I've been to so many other churches and I felt like, well, what about the rest of them? But if you, you can go to Google on this one, who founded the Catholic church? Jesus Christ. And it's the only church he founded. All the other churches are founded by men. And again, I don't say this to knock them because I'm sure they're all on fire for the Lord and I'm not to judge, but I know I wanted to find the truth and I, and I found it and it was right under my nose the whole time. And I'm, I'm a little upset that it took me, you know, a half a century to get there, but I'm, I'm grateful I'm here. That's awesome. It's awesome. I have another question, uh, sort of related to confession. Um, because this is a big part of both of your stories, and 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 Dan, you've mentioned especially um, a few minutes ago, like how much you appreciate that idea of, you know, being able to sacramentally like experience the presence of Christ in the confessional. Uh, but I I've I wondered this. I, I've asked this of a few athletes, and I've gotten different kinds of answers. But um, in order to confess well, you got to examine your conscience, right? You got to really take an honest, hard look at yourself. You got to play back the tape right you got to slow it down you got to think like what did i do um i gotta do that as layman but i kind of wonder how that works in the life of a baseball player because these days every time somebody strikes out and goes back to the dugout somebody hands them an ipad and they go and slow down all of their swings and like look at their forearm movement they look at what the back foot was doing like i did any of like the the going back through and analyzing you know, every single muscle movement, has any of that helped you when you think about like going through to examination of conscience or am I just reaching on this one? 
Yeah, I, well, I know if you're talking about baseball and the church and prayer and the sacraments, it's it's like um, when I when I talk to some folks and we kind of go back and forth and debate, like talking about the rosary or the Divine Mercy Chaplet, and um, it's often said, "Well, you're just memorizing that and not really praying," which you know maybe sometimes, but I think that's a reach. And, and I'll say, well, if I'm putting a ball on a tee, I'm hitting hundreds of those, thousands of those repetition. And sometimes I'm working on one little thing. And sometimes I'm just swinging because I want to feel it. And like, that's one of the greatest metaphors for me with, with prayer and the sacraments is, um, the sacraments, we talk about this all the time. I could never leave the church now that I've experienced the Eucharist and confession. There's plenty more, but those two, to be able to go and receive that grace that's so needed, and not to mention the spiritual warfare that keeps you from going to confession, whether it's a scheduling issue or you just really don't want to there's a lot that i think we all would nod our heads and say oh yeah you know i need to go to confession and then it'll be two weeks later you still haven't gone there's always something coming up but just that repetition and i think about hitting off the tee or being in the cages and dan i mean how how much time do you spend in a cage as, as a ball player i mean it's we're all cage rats you know that's like what you call it because you just you just live in there and, and you're just taking those swings because you're training your body to where you don't have to think when the time comes. You just react, you know, and that's where I really see the connection. I agree there with the repetition. You know, you talked about confession, but it, it, it plays into the rosary for sure, you know, and repetition is the mother of skill, right? Hundreds of ground balls a day, hundreds of swings. You don't even count them. And it's the same thing. And that's what, that's what I, the irony is. That's why I was against the rosary for so long. It just didn't make sense to me. It was like, why so many Hail Marys? I'd say one Hail Mary a night and think that was sufficient. Well, we don't take one swing off the tee, right? Or one ground ball. Right. Uh, an NBA player is not taking one foul shot. And when you do it, and again, I, I've yet to pray to perfect rosary. In fact, I've, I've yet to meet a, a, a religious, <laughs> person who has even a priest who's prayed the perfect rosary because my mind wanders and sometimes I'll get a, a decade right and other times my mind's off to thinking about what's for dinner. Um, you know, I, I heard once a priest said, if you fall asleep praying the rosary, your guardian angel will finish it for you. Uh, another priest told me that your um, the Holy Spirit will finish it for you. Uh, what I say is pray it early so you don't fall asleep. Uh, but repetition, yeah, is important. So I, 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 uh, I'm over that. And just to add to what Wade said, you know, the Eucharist and confession, those are really the sacraments and Our Lady are really what separates us from our Christian brothers and sisters. And, um, we have so much more that we have in common, right? I like to stick to the common ground, but those are, those are significant when you're all in. And it's not a, it's, you know, Wade said earlier about, uh, feeling that he was putting someone else up close to God. It's a misconception with our fellow Christian brothers and sisters. And that may have been a, a you know, a, a product of what you've learned prior, but we're not 
we're not worshiping her. We're, it's just a devotion. It's, it's a love. It's, uh, she's acts as an intercessory, just like I'd say, Hey, Matt, you know, my wife's sick. Can you pray for her? It's the same. We're just asking Mary to pray for us, put in a good word for us. And there's, you know, God's not going to be upset with that. The graces that she's given me in the last, you know, year and a half, because I pray it daily now and not just one, but all four of them. So I call that a grand slam and, and, and not to brag, but I just can't get enough of it. I mean, I, I, one was not enough. I, I can't wait, you know, every fourth day to think about him being nailed to the cross. I need to, I need to reenact that in my mind every day to remind myself that those nails were meant for me and that he paid a debt that he didn't know, one that we could never repay. And it's all paid in full, right? And then we get to go to that beautiful sacrament and lay it all in front of Jesus and uh, get, you know, be absolved and then, you know, go and sin no more. And, and, and what I like to say is, as I get older, I'm not sinless, but I'm sinning less. And, uh, you know, that's the journey. And I think, you know, again, I think Wade will agree. Our, our World Series, man, is heaven. We're just, uh, you know, we're just floating through. This is just a regular season for us. Well, that's great. That's great. So I want to, I have a few more things for you before we let you go. But I wanted to just say some parallels. I've always thought that baseball is the most Catholic sport. Um, it's certainly the most Christian sport. Uh, you know, and I can argue that on another level, but it's easier for me to argue it on the Catholic things. Uh, one would be that baseball has a sense of both individual salvation and communal salvation in the sense that it matters that you own your faith, but you can't do it alone. You're part of a church, just like a baseball team has to win as a team, but everybody's got to stand at the plate by themselves. So that's one thing. Another thing is that liturgically speaking, just like baseball the mass understands that there's an important interplay between sound and silence. Like baseball is like the only sport that cares about silence. It's the only sport you can listen to on the radio and some guy will just stop talking for like 12 seconds and just let you hear the crowd or hear nothing if nobody's at the game, right? So I got that. Uh, another thing is baseball has got the best sense of the communion of saints of any sport. Whenever they do the NFL ring of honors or like the hall of fame and whatever, and they announce who's in the hall of fame this year, I'm like, I know like two of those guys. Mm-hmm. you ask me who's in the hall of fame for any major league baseball team everybody knows like everybody knows the players in their hometown who are in the hall of fame right it's like i can't just say like names of big players from the 90s and you can be like yeah i never heard of that guy no you know you know bo jackson right you know king griffey you know you know all these guys um and then finally this analogy doesn't work any well very well because of what the nfl has done to their schedule but uh, um Back in the day, NFL, you got the early game on Sunday, the late game on Sunday, and then you got one game during the week. Baseball, you got every day of the week, just like you got the mass. But now that the NFL is kind of messed with the schedule, it doesn't work as well with that analogy. So um, my last thing here before I get into the lightning round is, do you have any questions for each other based on what the things that you've heard each other say about your experience or like, you know, Nina as well, like experience of like, Dan's family trying to make it through as a baseball family. I I would I would just say, um, Dan, don't you feel like we kind of already know each other a little bit because we've we've uh, like Dan would kept talking about. Well, I didn't really put that together. You're so locked in on performance, and I hope it didn't come across. We were talking about our conversion, not um, 
me being a choir boy and us having uh, no issues or anything like that. Uh, it's just, you're, you're consumed. You are, you, you don't think about like people when they see a pro athlete mess up in just a heinous way and you're at home going, how'd that happen? Like, what was he doing? You're blind. You're, you're blindsided. You've got blinders on and whatever happens is okay. Because all you care about is the next game. So I just, I appreciated Dan talking about that aspect a little bit. Yeah, no, I feel like I know you guys. As, as, uh, Matt pointed out as one of your analogies there or, or contrasts is that as Catholics, we never journey alone. Our support for one another is, it's a life support. It's encouraging. And, uh, and Matt, I think you left out the cathedral. Nice space, big league stadium looks Baseball like. Baseball stadiums, they're the cathedral. Come on. Well, you yeah. played at Yankee Stadium. I mean, come on. <laughs> so. Yeah, there's, man, there's so much. You know, wait, I can't help but be amused by the way that you put that. It's so funny that, like, us unathletic people will call into sports radio after somebody goes, like, 0 for 3, you know, and I was on, like, a 21, you know, game streak without a hit, you know having a bad day and you're like yeah that guy's terrible i'm like that guy could like crush it on your church softball team and you would be <laughs> embarrassed to be in the same field with him uh but uh so any other questions for dan do you have any questions for wade or nina before we let you move on to this next little yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued man I, th- I think it's i think your relationship i can tell is 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 christ-centered and when you have christ at the center of your relationship that's a foundation that cannot be cracked. You know, that's an eternal friendship and love that you guys will have forever. So that that's something that my wife and I have now, but we had different paths and we kind of came together where you sort of went on the journey from the beginning and uh, you found the truth. And, uh, you know, they made it home too, Matt. So we're, we're grateful to have you. And I think that many more will come home to our church just from hearing from you. So don't, don't uh, by any means be shy about expressing your love for not only for Jesus, but his mother and for our church and for the truth. And uh, you'll be surprised that you'll be that guy, right? That brought you in. You plant those seeds and you never know who else is going to come along and water them. Uh, and we don't always get to see the fruits of that, you know, of uh, uh, this, this, that seed bear fruit because it is a ripple effect, but sometimes God reveals it to us and, and, and he's been so prevalent in my life. I've been able to see so much over the last of a short period of time. And it's because it's of the surrender. When you surrender yourself and you give yourself to the Lord, you know, the baseball becomes insignificant and uh, mm-hmm. you make it happen. And by the way, Wade, you said 15,000. I didn't make more than six. I think nine, the most I made was 950 a month for six months. So that's less than $6,000. Yeah, uh, they bumped it up a so little bit. You were, yeah. you were rich, man. <laughs> so people get so excited about that short opportunity in the big league that they can get it right um right. that being said my last question is actually not theological at all um it has to do with the fact that you know minor league baseball is a it's a grind it's like anytime i go to more minor league games than i do major league games because i live in the dc area and it's impossible to get in and out of the nats park <laughs> Back when I was in Red's country, you could just go down in an afternoon and be like, yeah, I think we're going to go to a baseball game today. And you'd be home by like 1030. I love minor league baseball. 
I love the guys, the passion, the, the, the things that they're trying to do and the, the ways they're trying to like do their best. Um, but one of the things I love most about minor league baseball is the team names. And Wade, I heard you say you played for Erie. Is that the Seawolves? Seawolves and double A. That's right. That was our double A affiliate. Still is. All right. So, uh, what, what other, uh, what are some of the other great minor league team names that you played on or uh, could have gotten bounced to if you'd stayed in longer? Well, I, I was fortunate, and I say that kind of as a joke, to play at every level, some of them more than once. So uh, the Oneonta Tigers, I was on the last Oneonta team there was, and um, that was interesting. That wasn't a cool mascot, but West Michigan Whitecaps is kind of interesting. Lakeland Flying Tigers. Uh, the Seawolves, like we touched, and, and then I played two years on the Toledo Mud Hens, which were pretty famous. So um, I guess MASH made the Mud Hens pretty famous. And they had they had a pretty cool um, atmosphere, stadium, the whole deal. They, they really do a good job there. How about you, Dan? Yes, I, you mentioned I played against the Whitecaps when I was in the Midwest League, and I also played against the Lakeland Tigers in the Florida State League. But uh, I only played for three seasons. Rookie ball was Elizabethan, Tennessee, uh, which was, you know, just the Elizabethan twins. And then I went on to play for the Fort Wayne Wizards in, in Indiana. Yeah. And then from the Wizards, I finished my career, the Fort Myers, Fort Myers Miracle. So I didn't really even think about that, that name until now. Uh, fitting name, even though, you know, even though, uh, they let me go and <laughs> it was one of the worst days at the time. Um, I believe Double A was the Rockets, the the Rockcats, uh, New Rock New Britain Rockcats, and then our mm-hmm. New Britain, and then the Triple A team was the Salt Lake City okay. Buzz at the time. Uh, okay. But I didn't, now I wasn't fortunate enough to get that far. But uh, yeah, but quick side note to the story: God closes it. We hear the story. He closes the door. He opens a window. In my case, he closed the window and opened a door. Because uh, two summers after I got released, I exit the highway because there's traffic. I'm meeting my friends on the beach. And I end up on this beach by myself reading a book. And then she walks by. And now we're going on 25 years of a charmed marriage. Not a day that I didn't want to come home. And not a night that I've gotten to bed angry. So as ball player, Wade, you know, you're not going to the beach unless you're you know playing out in California or even if you are, you just don't have, you don't have time off to do that. So my whole life spending summers playing travel ball and through high school and college and pros, finally I'm at the beach and, um, you know, I wouldn't trade her in for a, for a day in the big leagues or, or a career. It's awesome. It's awesome. You know, on the minor league notes, I've got, uh, in my house, I don't have it here, but I've got, uh, Frederick keys gear, um, up here in Maryland. Um, we've got, uh, uh, one of the Reds uh, low A ball teams. I, they've switched hands so many times, but the, in Greenville, Tennessee, close to where my parents, uh, grandparents live, they had the, it was the Greenville Reds. It might be the Greenville Astros now, but when they were the Greenville Reds, they, it was Mr. Red wearing a Davy Crockett coonskin cap was their logo. It was pretty good. It was pretty That's good. pretty good. I've got some Pensacola, uh, Pensacola Blue Wahoos stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of these days, I'm going to get the Montgomery Biscuits uh, gear, maybe some... Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think the Auburn Double Days have one of the best team names after uh, Abner Double Day. The games in there, right. but um, mm-hmm. I encourage people to go check out Dan's story because there's 
it's impossible to cover all the pieces of this. And, and so much of what happens with you, Dan, happens after you leave the game of baseball. Um, Nina, you do a lot of kind of, uh, you know, logging the saga of how your experience of baseball um, played into this. I've got both of those stories linked uh, in the show notes for this video. But Nina, you've got something extra because you've been writing some stuff for kids. I wonder if you could share that real quick. Sure. Um, well, when you marry a professional baseball player, uh, they kind of start talking to you and saying, well, what are your dreams? And I said, well, I'd, I'd like to be a writer. And so if you marry somebody who's chasing their dreams and, and fulfilling it every day, they encourage you to, you know, take some action and do that in your own life. And so Wade has been super encouraging with that. And uh, as we were in baseball, I started writing for Baseball Chapel. And and that was that kind of that Bible study that we were talking about at the beginning of this. And they have a daily kind of devotion. And so I started, you know, sharpening that skill of writing and, and using it for the Lord. And then and then I wrote a, a novel, a fiction novel called The Bird and the Bees. And it's about this this girl who just falls in love with this tall, dark and handsome third baseman playing for the Erie Seawolves. You know, <laughs> like where in the world does she come up with that idea? Right. <sighs> but um, that was my first book. And that came out during COVID in 2020. And then um, just our relationship with Mary and everything then Tan Books publishes a, a garden for Mary, and so this. Oh, good! We got a visual aid. Awesome. Yeah, Wade's got long arms. So, but um, that story really came out of of our conversion and how we kind of struggled with with the rosary, with the rosary, and with devotion to Mary. And you know why why do we venerate her and honor her? And and it has this this child asking his mother. Her mother in my mind it was a boy but it's a it's a little girl in the, in the book but asking his mother well why well why well why and and i think that's what we were doing like we kept asking on an intellectual level you know why do we do this tell me again let me read it again let me see the print and understand it but it just wasn't connecting with our heart and then finally when it connected with our heart you know that's when it all it all clicked and made sense and so that's where a garden for mary came from and and so, yeah, I just, I love writing and I love using that for the Lord and, and Wade modeled that beautifully. You know, it's a lot of people have a lot of amazing skills that, that honor and glorify the Lord, but Wade always used his, you know, it was just from his walkout songs, uh, his presence on a, on a ball field and all these ways he, he stood out because he was always joyful for the Lord, you know, no matter the seasons that he would jokes and said he was like the job of baseball, even then, even then. That he was, was my last year. <laughs> it was rough. <laughs> St. Mendoza, pray for us. Yeah. So um, <laughs> you mentioned walk-up songs. This is a question we didn't get to here, but if you, did you use Christian music for your walk-up songs ever, Wade? I did. I would, I would use country every now and then because I'm from Hallsville, Kentucky and a redneck, but no, I, I loved having a walkout song um, that that glorified the Lord because I, I I would get it was like an awesome evangelizing technique like mm -hmm. like fans would come up and say I can't believe your song is light up the sky by the afters or uh, running for your heart by third day or mm -hmm. you know we were Protestant so I was all over the the band music you know. Yeah, there's this guy uh, used to play for the Reds, Chris Heisey, and he had this Christian rap song, and it 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 went hard. 
let's just say, and all these people are like, man, what's that song that Chris Hines is like walking up to? That's amazing. It's like, it's, it's this band called the cross movement. Uh, and if you listen to the lyrics, you'll find out exactly what they're about. So no, that's well, really I, I must, I must be, I must be a lot older than all of you because I didn't have a walk up song. I didn't have that <laughs> option. <laughs> you were there. Did you have a walk up was... uh, record player? Like maybe no. walk up eight track maybe. No, this is this has been great, y'all. I'm so grateful that you both accepted the invitation. Um, I really encourage people to go check out uh, the links here so you can find out more about all the guests we've had today, Wade, Nina, and Dan. I encourage you to go to chnetwork.org, find more stories of people and uh, you know what's brought them uh, either back to the church or maybe into the church from some other tradition of faith or maybe from no faith at all. Uh, you can also check out our online community. That's community.chnetwork.org. And again, this is all made possible because of people who love the Lord and want to help out people like you. And uh, if you want to participate in that mission and, and support others on the journey, you can go to chnetwork.org slash donate to do so. I'm Matt Swaim. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Coming Home Network Presents. We'll see you again next time.